Okay, let's do this again. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Mango Podcast, episode five already. And for this special episode, I want to talk about a topic that is very close to me, which is adoption. And the reason I want to talk about this is, well, first of all, hey, I'm adopted. And I'm adopted from China when I was two years old. And since then, I lived most of my life with my white um, Dutch parents and also adopted little sister from China in this small ass, predominantly white village. So the past few days, there is this Instagram account I follow called um, No White Saviors, and they have this Adoption Awareness Week. So um, before, I already read and felt a bit that adoption, and especially transnational and transracial adoption, is it's kind of fucked up. But after reading these posts and comments, it it really opened my eyes and made me help understand adoption a little little better. Also, I want to make a disclaimer that I'm still having a lot of jumbled thoughts uh, on it and and still haven't fully gasped yet what my opinion is on certain things and how I feel about certain certain things and topics. So this episode might be a bit all over the place, but I thought it might be interesting to just take you along as I navigate my thoughts um, and explore as I go. But to start off on a lighter note, let's have a quick live update. It is currently 1.56 p.m. exact and um, I'm in the same spot as always, which is my bedroom in my parents' house. Well, actually, it's my sister's bedroom, but she's off to college. So yeah, I'm living that two-bedroom life. And normally at this point, I will start off on a tangent how much I dislike thesis and the stress and anxiety it gives me. But um I want you just skip that and and let's talk about all the new things that I cooked this week. So this week I made a Chinese meat pie, or that is what they call it in the YouTube video English description. Um, it's like this, I would say, big dumpling, but you make it flat and you fry it on both sides. And I was really proud of myself because it turned out so freaking good. The only thing that I would change. Um, if I were to remake it again, is to maybe put a little bit more vegetables in it because now it was just spring onion, but I mean, it was still super delicious. And I guess that was kind of the highlight of my week. Yeah, I know it's it's very on brand uh, for COVID times. Um, so other than that, I really didn't do anything special. Um, let's see. Oh, yeah. Well, me and my boyfriend had like a thing, a discussion this week, and I still feel a little salty about it. So what happened was that he doesn't really show, or that's at least what I feel, that he shows like initiative um, to contact me. And, and I think that's quite important when when you are in a long distance relationship. It's not that I want or that I need to be texting or having contact all the time but I mean it's nice to just get some form of communication from his side right so what ended up happening was is that he doesn't really like wanted to schedule a zoom date with me or or he like he didn't take the initiative to and and that was he said that he didn't like my ideas for activities um so far we only did like a movie date and a game night but yeah I guess those are boring for him it's not like we do them all the time but um anyways so he did want to schedule 
the only thing that he wanted to schedule was this this sexy time. But I mean, I wasn't having that because, I mean, I will only feel used for my body, right? Anyways, I probably shouldn't, <laughs> I probably shouldn't um, put this in the podcast. So maybe editing Lily wants to take this out. But to end this live update on another note, I also played some Sims 4 um, the past few days. I mean, I should be doing more productive stuff. But sometimes that Sims 4 life or Sims life is just too attractive. Uh, yeah, I don't know if you relate, but I like playing Sims with multiple families at the same time. And then I like to make like this one big drama. So uh, my sims are having like secret affairs with each other and I'll get them pregnant with their best friend's dad. But they also are being adopted, uh, up, abducted by aliens and they work as criminals and, and yeah, all of those juicy things. But Sims 4 can never ever replace the fun that I had when um, playing Sims 1. That game will forever hold a special place in my heart. I remember me and my best friends in primary school, we would make um, like Dutch famous people in The Sims. And then um, you can make these screenshots or pictures and you can put them in like your photo album in The Sims. So what we did is we used a cheat code. So we could basically place The Sims wherever we wanted and in any position that we wanted. So um, yeah, we created these uh, ridiculous and funny situations and we put them in the photo album and then wrote like even funnier descriptions. So yeah, that was hilarious. That was such a good time. Okay, so I don't know where to start, but maybe let's start with talking about why adoption isn't such a great thing. And then maybe I can talk about my own experiences. Honestly, I don't know how I can clearly explain the reasons why adoption doesn't necessarily deserve the good reputation it has. So I think I'll just read you guys one of the posts on the Instagram account um, from No White Saviors. I will link the account in the episode description, so please check them out for more information. And not only on adoption, but they have a lot of great resources and information on the White Savior Complex. This account literally educated me so much, so I highly recommend uh, to check them out. So, the adoption post um, starts off by explaining the concept of white saviorism. The term white saviorism is used to categorize white people who perform chari charitable or benevolent um, acts towards BIPOC. BIPOC? I've never, I read this word, BIPOC, but I've never like said it out loud. So I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Um, BIPOC with the underlying assumption and bias that BIPOC are unable to help slash save themselves. So white saviorism is a characteristic of white supremacy because of the unequal power distribution in roles, as well as the racist narrative that motivates white folks to act. So how does white saviorism sound like in adoption? So think of phrases like, oh, these people can't help themselves, so it's our duty to help them. Or our faith calls us to look after the widow and the orphan. And we saved you from a horrible life. And also, oh, without us, and us referring to, to the adoptive parents, who knows what your life would be like. And then the last one that 
the article mentions, uh, the post mentions, is that we just saw you on the magazine under Waiting Children and you looked so helpless. We knew we needed to step in. Whew, yeah, this is already so much to unpack, but it also only scratches the surface of adoption. And there's just so many layers to this. The, the family separation trauma, identity struggles, um, but also the corrupt practices that um, do exist uh, in the adoption process behind the scene. And because adoption is relatively popular, there is some big bucks to be made in this industry. And it's literally just another business model for, for many agencies. So what I read is that some agencies and countries push children into adoption because people really want to pay a lot for these children. So what you hear are children being taken away from their families because instead of supporting their families and help them to take care of their children or let or like find another family member to take care of them it is much more profitable profitable to sell these children off to other people and then these agencies would lie to the the adoptive parents that their um, kids biological parents are dead or or something like that so yeah those are a few horror stories that i read um in these in these instagram posts and from my own experience or or not really experience but um i remember that um this is also such a long time ago it must be years when i read this but one day i decided to google something about the chinese province where i was found and um i put um in google something adoption china whatever and um a lot of articles and hits popped up so I have no idea anymore what I exactly uh, read, but there was one thing that I still remember, which was an article about how people would steal Chinese children and then sell them off to orphanages. Because there was such a big demand for Chinese adoptees, agencies saw this, of course, as a great opportunity to make money. Now, I do have to say, I don't know how how legit this is, um, because also at the time or at least when I was adopted, there was this Chinese one-child policy and that could also be the reason why many parents um, had to give up, many Chinese parents had to give up their kids that were mainly mainly daughters. So at least that is the narrative that I've been always told. So who knows, it's maybe just the white saviorism perspective or maybe it's a combination of both and many other factors, of course. But all what I'm trying to say is that this do, does showcase that regardless, there is some shady shit going on in the adoption process, product, adoption thing. Another thing that is very prominent in especially the comment section on the Instagram pro posts is the trauma and identity loss that a lot of adoptees have experienced. And I mean, it isn't really such a surprise because however you will look at it, adoption comes always from a place of loss. Adoption isn't and doesn't start with a beautiful moment of, of a new family. No, it literally starts with a broken family. And in most cases, a child that gets taken away, it also loses its heritage, culture, country and, and language and probably will never know anything about their biological parents or family. And, and yeah, that that thus can lead to traumatic experiences and depression, anxiety, attachment issues, grief, etc. So the Instagram post also told me that adoptees are four times more likely to attempt suicide um, than those that are not adopted. And of course, there is a vast degree in how much this 
uh, traumatic experiences will affect an adoptee in his life. Um, so yeah, before I continue, I want to by no means saying that um, automatically every adoptee had trauma or that uh, white slash adoptive parents are evil or had any uh, or have bad intentions. And that is definitely not um, the narrative that I want to push. But when I think of myself, I I don't think I have experienced many repercussions of my adoption. And um, I really don't blame my parents uh, for adopting me, just to, just to give that disclaimer. But uh, as I said before, after reading these posts and comments, I, I started reflecting on my own experiences and started noticing that also I have some experiences that are low-key fucked up and things that I just never realized were wrong. And also that I have definitely have some internalized racism and and the what they call false privilege. Um, yeah, so I just want to unpack and discuss all of this. So what is false privileges? Well, this basically means, and I again read verbatim from a post, from the Instagram post, um, when adoptees of color have grown up in a mostly white household and are around a more dominant white environment, we may often be given the idea that we may not face racial discrimination or we... Um, are we able to easily navigate society just like our families? And of course, this is not the case because other people will perceive us as differently. So you can see how this leads to potential identity confusions. And I think when reading the experiences of the other adoptees, it was both shocking because I've never heard such extreme stories before. But also I felt like certain things that I had experienced or or thought were articulated in a way that I never could could have done before and that was that was comforting as as well so now we are at the part where I will talk about my own adoption stories um, or experiences as you will and um, yeah actually adoption has been a topic that I wanted to talk about in a future podcast but I never thought I had much to say about it. I thought it would just be something like, oh, I got adopted, I had a loving family, a happy childhood, sometimes some racial slurs thrown at me, but not too bad, I'm still alive, blah, 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 the end. But then I read these Instagram posts and found there is actually a a big community of adoptees that, that share their stories, and this has inspired me to share mine. Also, the past days, I keep on thinking of stuff that happened or memories related to my adoption that I then write down to, to not forget to mention in this podcast. So I guess in the end, I actually do have something to say about it. So yeah, here we go. So as I already said in the intro, I'm from China and adopted when I was two years old. So I really don't have any memory from my adoption process itself. But my parents have always been very open about adoption. And for as long as I can remember, I knew that I was adopted. I mean, obviously, because I don't look like my parents or family at all. But they never were weird talking about it or it was um, some sort or, or it was treated as some sort of taboo topic. But unfortunately, this is not automatically the case for a lot of um adopted people so I know for sure that my parents really had the best intentions in mind and wanted the best for me and my sister but that also being said 
there had been situations or things that weren't necessarily good. Anyways, let's go back to the beginning. As I said, I don't remember anything from my time in China, but my parents told me that I was be that I was abandoned in front of a middle school, and a teacher found me and brought me to an orphanage. Uh, I also had a foster family、um, for a while before I was placed with my adoptive parents, and I think that was、um, because I had some health problems and、um, to get me used to family life. So then adoption day arrived,、um, and the way my parents told me was that I basically got pushed inside their hotel room because I wouldn't let go of、um, the Chinese lady that was holding me. So when I was finally with my parents, I cried for like two weeks straight, and I was a freaking hot mess. I was throwing myself on the floor, and I was bonking my head against the door, or so I have been told. And I was calling the name of my, I think, foster sister、um, at the time, and I would only shut up crying when the Chinese translator would hold me and talk to me in Chinese. It was so bad that my dad didn't want to adopt another child anymore because I literally tra- traumatized him. I think, but. I slowly came around, and I've seen some、um, videos of me、uh, in China eating mushroom soup happily and laughing and playing with my parents. But yeah,、um, not to self-diagnose here, but、um, I do feel like I low-key have some trust, insecurity, or abandonment issues, or however you will call it. So that has been part of my adoption story that I don't remember but have been told. So let's go to the parts that I do have some memories、uh, of, and and let's talk about that. So for as long as I can remember, I've always been asked these two questions. Like I swear, the moment people find out that I'm adopted, I get these questions asked ninety percent of the time. And also before they ask them, they preface them by saying something like, "Oh, if you don't mind talking about it, but you know." So I mean, if you yourself already feel like. This could be a delicate topic. Just don't ask. So the questions are: first of all, do you know or want to find your biological parents? Second of all, is your sister your real sister? And just a tip: just don't ask adoptees these questions, especially if you just have met or are practically strangers. I mean, I don't mind talking about it with my friends or family, or or when I bring it up.、Um, But it is kind of weird to be asked this quite personal questions、um, the moment that you meet somebody, you know. And I also know that this is mainly out of curiosity, and there is definitely no ill intent. But I mean, I'm curious about how it feels to be a white person living with privileges. But I mean, you don't hear me ask those questions immediately, right? Anyways, I've gotten this question so many times over the years of my existence. I've literally a standard answer for it. You want to hear it? So it goes something like this: China is so big, so there isn't any information about my birth parents, so it wouldn't be possible to find them anyways. Also, I see my adoptive parents as my real parents now, and my sister isn't my biological sister, but I see her as my real sister. And most of the times,、um, people are satisfied with this answer, and they don't ask further. But also, sometimes people respond with things like, "Oh, if I were you, I would want to know my real parents," or, or like they, "I've seen on TV or read somewhere that a Chinese girl found their birth parents. Have you seen it?" And some people they straight up tell me that I must feel so blessed and lucky and grateful to be adopted here, and that my parents must be such nice people that they have adopted me, and that I have so many better opportunities in the Netherlands, and yada yada yada. 
So when I get comments like this, I used to just smile because I didn't know how to even respond to to this. It does make me feel comfortable, but I didn't realize they were actually problematic things to say. I used to say some of these things myself as well. And I think because my parents have said those too, they would tell me that they would tell us that um, the Netherlands is like one of the best places to live and there's um, better opportunities for me here because I would probably never have the education that I receive um, now in China. I mean, not saying that it isn't true, but, um, you know, So next, I want to tell you guys some other experiences, uh, which at the time I didn't realize were problematic or would affect me. And one of the first things that come to mind uh, was this time in high school. I think I was 14 or 15 years old, and this happened during my geography class. I don't know why, but somehow the teacher asked me in front of the whole class whether I was adopted. So I answered him, yes. And then he said something along the lines of, Oh, I don't like the word adoption. It sounds like adopting an animal, like, oh, we just adopted a dog. So yeah, I I remember I felt super uncomfortable. Um, And of course, the whole class was silent and looking at me to see what I would say back. But I didn't say anything because what the fuck am I supposed to say, you know? I also wasn't the type of girl who would talk back to a teacher. But thinking about it now, it is actually such an insensitive thing to say. Um, saying that adoption makes you think like getting an animal while there is this human in your class that is being adopted. Yeah, fun times. Uh, Another thing that I found quite disturbing was seeing um, an estimated price list of children uh, on my adoption agency website. So this was like 10 10 years ago and I went on the website of my adoption agency I don't remember why, but I remember I saw this page where they put like a list of estimated prices, how much it would cost to adopt a child from different countries. I actually just checked um, the website and it's still there. The prices include procedure cost, foreign country cost, fixed cost and agency cost. And the agency costs are by far the largest sum. It's like 60% of all the costs combined. Then the document also says that travel, stay, and documentation costs aren't included. Like, I really don't know what all these fees include. But looking at this document makes me a little bit or super uncomfortable. Because in essence, it literally tells you how much a kid is worth. And I remember I found the exact uh, amount my parents paid for me um, to to get me in the Netherlands. Um So I was trying to find out my blood group because apparently it is not a thing in the Netherlands to know that. So I just asked my mom and she said, oh, it's probably in your adoption documents. So I went in and I just casually looked um, through the files. Well, I didn't find my blood group. Spoiler alert, I still don't know it. Um, But I did see the receipts of my adoption. So as I said before, my parents were always quite open about me being adopted and it never was a secret or something that was taboo to talk about. But of course, there are still things that they weren't educated enough about uh, before adopting children. So once they couldn't get children themselves, my dad was initially initially like, it is what it is. 
but my mom really wanted kids. So since she is a teacher, she was exposed to some adopted children before. Um, but my dad's initial worry was that he wouldn't be that he didn't know if he would be able to love a child, an adopted child as much as his own. But in his defense, um, he did say afterwards that he was being naive and that he loves us just um, the same. So my mom said that she really wanted a Chinese kid because she read an article about Chinese adoption and saw the little kids, uh, little Chinese kids and found them so cute. So she said she didn't want a kid from anywhere else. I mean, it's not problematic at all, right? Anyways, uh, the procedure to get a transracial adoption is long and I think it took them like two years to get me. So I'm not familiar with the exact procedure, but they did say that they needed to take some Chinese cultural classes or whatever that means. And I've seen pictures of those so-called Chinese cultural classes. And it's basically just a bunch of white people sitting in a Chinese restaurant with a kimono um, yeah, the agency told them that they could receive some backlash from family members who wouldn't be able to accept a foreign kid. But, um, I mean, hello, what about the feelings of the adoptee itself? Anyways, I don't know how it is now, but I don't think back then it was very much, um, there was very much information given to adoptive parents about the culture and possible effects of adoption, um, on the, on the adoptee. So one thing I wish my parents did was to put me into Chinese language classes when I was young. Uh, and they said that they did think about it, but ended up not doing it because somebody told them that it's no use because China has so many different dialects. So if your kids learned Chinese, they wouldn't be able to understand a lot of people and it wouldn't be useful. Anyways, I mean, like, what the fuck is this advice, you know? Uh, also, my parents um, took that advice face value. So, so yeah, great cultural classes that my parents learned a lot from. Um, also, growing up, my parents never celebrated any Chinese holidays. We just went straight to racist Sinterklaas. So I felt really out of touch with my Chinese culture and heritage. We did, however, and still do. Um, go on this so-called China weekend where we meet up with all of uh, the other adoptees and their parents that were adopted at the same time as me, which are actually fun weekends. We go camping and just hang and chill, but besides eating Chinese takeout, there is nothing China or Chinese culture related that we do in these weekends. So it's just a bunch of white people and their Chinese kids on a big field that attract a lot of attention. Um, the thing that my parents always said what we would do is go on this so-called roots trip where we would go back to China and go to um, see the province and orphanage um, that me and my sister are from. We are both from different provinces, by the way. And uh, when I was 17, we actually, we actually did. And I really liked this trip. Um, but I think it was mainly because, <laughs> because all of the food that I never ate before. I had hot pot and dim sum for the first time. So seeing my orphanage and my um, founding place was, was cool and all, but it didn't make me feel particularly emotional or, or maybe I'm just a psycho who doesn't have any feelings. But the whole trip felt more like a regular holiday than this special thing because I didn't know shit about China except for like superficial things like pandas, great walls and the made in China things. 
So this trip, however, did make me more interested in the culture and language. So growing up in an all-white family in a mostly white town where the only Asians were me and my sister was, it was normal for me because, of course, I didn't know any other alternatives and other ways of love living. I was literally raised white. So, I mean, I never had to take off my shoes in my house or any of my friends or family's houses. So, yeah, then you know you're kind of white. But I do remember that both uh, me and my sister really wanted to look white because we thought in order to be pretty, we needed to have white features. I hid in my eyes for the longest time. And I think only until I got exposed to more diversity, which I think was when I moved away from home, I realized that looking Asian isn't something ugly or bad. But other than that, I don't have any particular negative memories of growing up. I remember people in school um, wanted to touch my black hair, but, but I really hated it, of course. I also don't remember I had difficulties making friends because even though I looked different, I didn't feel any different except from my appearance, of course. Um, And then, yeah, of course, the remarks like chink eyes or ni hao. Um, But at one point, I think I just got used to it in some ways. And then everybody just told me to, oh, you be the better person. You just ignore me. So that is what I did. So I know that a lot of adoptees feel their identity being stolen or having difficulties feeling a sense of belonging. And to a certain extent, I feel that as well. Like it's, it's like wherever you are, you're never completely feeling like you belong. As much as I felt white growing up from the outside, I wasn't perceived as one. But when I was in China or Asia for the matter, I, even though I may look the part, I, I can't fully relate because I've been brought up in 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 such a different way so this is all for today's episode Um, maybe I'll make a part two for this Um, but I just wanted to end by saying I did totally no justice to this whole adoption topic and discussion there are so many more things to discuss and unravel so if you want to know more about it and uh, read other people's experiences, I really highly encourage you to go to the Instagram pages that I linked in the episode description. And um, you can see that there's just so much more behind all of this than I could possibly explain and tell you right now. I know that I found uh, comfort and understood in a way that I never did before by these resources and I would definitely continue to learn. So thank you so much for listening and hope to see you next episode. Bye-bye.